But it, today's a really special day for me. My uh, dad's in town, actually. He helped lead a fuel conference that we had uh, here at Creekside yesterday. And if you went to that conference and, and you had a lot of fun, if you're a youth, w would you just raise your hand? Let me see who's in here. Yeah, we had a couple youth go to that, and it was a lot of fun. And so my dad... His name is Pastor Tim Zakarian. He's right here. I don't call him Pastor Tim Zakarian. I usually just call him Dad. But um, it's really cool because he's actually going to be preaching today and giving the word. And a couple things about my dad. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be nice to you. <laughs> but a couple of cool things about my dad is he is one of the nicest people you will ever meet in your life. He genuinely cares about people. He cares for people who know Christ, and he also cares a lot about people who don't know Christ. And so today, uh, during the message, I would really encourage you to listen up, not because he's my dad, but just because I really believe that this message is going to challenge you guys, uh, hopefully in a way that you did not expect. And so if you guys would give a warm Creekside welcome to my dad, Pastor Tim Zakarian. Well, it's an honor to be here this morning, and I always love this church. It's been a long time since I've been here and spoken here. Uh, some of you guys, old-timers, might remember, might not remember, but, uh, but it is an honor to be here, and uh, it's an honor uh, with Pastor Terry and Trina. You guys have some wonderful pastors, and I know you know that, and uh, without Pastor Terry here, now I can talk to you, and I can tell you, you should let them know how much you love them and what they've meant to your life um, because you know pastoring sometimes can be hard and a lot of times people can give you all the the bad stuff you got some of the best pastors that i've ever seen and i can tell you that through experience i see a lot of churches you have one of the best churches in all of open bible um, and i'm i've seen many of them and i want you to know you have one of the best pastors in all of open bible and uh, so, so as you cheer, he's not here. So, uh, so make sure you let him know at some point, whether it's text message or voicemail or a hug, let them know, Terry and Trina, how much you appreciate them and how much you love them. I met Pastor Terry, he mentioned back in 1988. What he didn't tell you is I was just a teenager. And, um, and I was at summer camp, and Pastor Terry was the camp speaker. And I was 18 eight years old, trying to figure out what I wanted to do in life. And um, I kind of thought about this ministry thing, and maybe going to Bible college. And uh, I got up early, I loved playing basketball. Got up 7 o'clock in the morning at camp, and started playing basketball, all by myself on this basketball court. And all of a sudden, here comes this young Pastor Terry, and uh, I thought, man, who is this guy? He should be in GQ magazine. And, uh, <laughs> and I still think him and Trina should be on the GQ cover. Um, and I always tell him that. And, uh, but here he comes. And I thought, wow, the camp speaker. You know, I was kind of in this awe. He comes down. He's just like a casual, starts shooting basketball with me. And I was just kind of in awe that the camp speaker would talk to some guy he didn't know. And we started shooting hoops. And if you know Pastor Terry really well, he started asking me questions. And, uh, and I was kind of comfortable because we were playing basketball. 
And, and uh, so we were talking. He goes, what are you going to do in your life? And I go, I'm thinking about going to Bible college, but I'm not sure. And it was uh, probably one of the most powerful 30 minutes. Uh, it was a transforming moment for me where he talked to me and he encouraged me. And he encouraged me to the point where I was confident enough to take the step to go to Bible college and be a pastor. And that's how much Pastor Terry has meant to my life. In fact, uh, when we were getting ready to start uh, Waypoint Community Church, it's now seven and a half years old. Uh, you may not realize this, but you, your church, helped us start Waypoint Community Church by sending resources to us. And Pastor Terry helped me and gave me advice. Um, and now because of him and his legacy in my life, uh, you have helped start another church without maybe even knowing it. And that same church that you helped start has given you a youth pastor now in my son, Michael. Isn't that neat how things work and how God works? And uh, so make sure you let Pastor Terry and Trina know how much you love them and what they mean to your life. And, uh, and I'm excited that Michael's here. Is, you know, my, when Michael got out of Bible college, you know, there was options that he can go and places he can go be a youth pastor in. And, um, and I knew how great Pastor Terry was, and I know how great this church is. And, uh, and I encouraged Michael to, that this church would be a great church for him. And I was so happy that he's here. Um, I remember when he was at the age of five years old, and, and Pastor Terry kind of alluded to that, I asked him, I said, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he goes, I want to be a youth pastor, Dad. And, uh, and then when he got into his middle school days, you know, you get that, those, those kind of middle schoolers and they kind of get kind of crazy in life. And I said, Michael, what do you want to do in life? He goes, Dad, I want to be a youth pastor. I go, are you sure? I, you don't have to, you know. I try, didn't want him to do it because of me. I didn't, I didn't try to encourage that or anything. And he just said, no, I want to be a youth pastor. I remember him going through his Bible college days. And if you know Michael, school and Michael don't go well together. And so, uh, and so as he was in Bible college, and you know, you go through all those ups and downs in life. And, and I remember going to him and said, what do you want to be, Michael? He goes, I want to be a youth pastor. And I remember as he came here, and, uh, and as he got here, I remember uh, asking him, I said, well, how is it at Creekside? How's the work there? He goes, you know what, Dad, it's not work. He goes, I'm doing what I love to do. And, uh, and I want you to know that he loves being here. He loves you guys. And he's going to do a great job here for your youth group. And I believe God's going to do some great things here at Creekside. There already has been many great things, but there's many great things to come still. Amen? And, uh, and I remember, have you ever been um, on a journey? You start out on a journey. You know where you're going. And once you get there and once you get to your destination, you're not quite sure what to do. I remember when, uh, when Michael was leaving to come here. He, when he was in Bible college, he got to stay at our house. And, um, and if you have kids, you know how hard it is to let one of your kids go away from the home. And, uh, and I remember uh, that day, in fact, that night, in fact, if you want to show the picture, the, the, this was our last night together, and that's our family, my daughter Christine, my wife Tina in the background there. And we, were at, we had a night together, talked about memories, uh, and 
I don't cry much. I really don't. You can, in fact, Michael's probably hardly ever seen me cry. It's just my personality. Um, and I was holding back tears that night. I didn't cry, though. And we all, we all kind of held back tears, and we talked about good memories. And then the next day, and you can show the next picture, Michael's getting ready to leave in his car, saying goodbye. And Michael has this humorous side of him, if you're getting to know him a little bit. And as he was leaving, he rolls down the window, and he starts playing th that song from Toy Story, You Got a Friend in Me. And, of course, the two girls lost it, you know. And I'm trying to hold back my tears from not losing it because I had to be strong for the girls. And I told my wife, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into work. You know, I had to kind of avoid the emotions there. So I, so I get into the church office, and I'm thinking, man, I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I don't cry much. Now, if you cry, it's okay. But I don't cry much. I get in the office, and the youth pastor looks at me, and he says, how are you doing? <laughs> Ran in my office, and for one hour I cried. Uh, and not that it was, it, we were so proud, we are so proud of him, but it was just so hard to see him go because we're so close. But we're excited that he's here. And I know when he got here and he started his journey, the question comes, what do you do now? as he's on this journey. He's figuring that out as he's here. I remember me and my wife, uh, when we got out of Bible college, we actually uh, started down a journey to Antioch, California. And uh, we came down and we got into Antioch and I, I was so excited. I knew what I was going to do as a youth pastor. I had it all down. I, I, was, I, I knew what I was going to do. And I remember getting in my office, getting my office all set up, and I'm sitting in my chair, and I like to rock. I'm rocking back in my chair. I'm sitting in the office, and I'm thinking, I'm here. Now what? <laughs> and, uh, and you ever been there before where you kind of know where you're going, but you're not quite sure what to do to get there? And in Antioch, I was there, and uh, I was such a great youth pastor. We had about 10 kids there, and I was great. I brought it down to about five kids. I knew what I wanted, but I had no clue what to do. And, um, and then I started figuring it out. I had a great pastor that kind of helped me along. And um, after 10 years, I left a group of 130 kids. And God did a lot of great things there. And uh, I ended up uh, eventually taking on another youth pastor position for three years. And then I moved to the Springfield area. And ended up being a full-time regional youth director for Open Bible Churches, where I oversee all the youth groups on the West Coast. I'm still doing that. I've done that for 17 years. But have you ever been to the place before in your, in your list of things, you have a, a, a to-do list? We call it a bucket list, right? And then you have a list that I will never do. You know, your, your I'll never do list. Well, my never do list was I'll never be a senior pastor and I'll never plant a church or start a church. That was my never to-do list. I will never do that. And, um, but what happened when I was moved in the community of Springfield, Oregon, which is in Eugene, Eugene area, um, I began to, uh, I, was in, I was in a really neat community, a, a great neighborhood I was in. The neighborhood was really close, and I had a, a friend of mine. His name was Jason. He worked for the Parks and Rec. 
And what Jason wasn't a Christian, he wasn't a churchgoer, and um, what he would do, though, is try to partner with churches in the community with the Parks and Rec. And what would happen to him is a lot of times churches would not call him back. They would not respond to him. They wouldn't be interested in partnering with him. And so Jason is my neighbor. He knew I was a Christian, and he came up to me. And he said, Tim, I don't understand this. I go, what are you talking about, Jason? He goes, why, when I try to reach out to churches, why, do they, why are they so separate from the community? How come they don't want to be part of their community? And I thought about that for a moment, and, and it really started breaking my heart for our community, realizing that there were a lot of people in our community that don't go to church. In fact, um, at our high school, there was a, a, religious cl a religion class of 64 students. And in that religion class, they asked the students, how many of those kids go to church? Two out of 64 kids raised their hands that they went to church. And we realized in the community that most of the churches were the age, average age was probably 50 on up. Yet the demographic of the community was young families with kids and youth. And so it really began, God really began to stir my heart about that God was wanting to do something in the, in the Springfield community. And that's when we started Waypoint Community Church. And in that, I remember it was about a two-year process where we were trying to plan. And I remember knowing that we wanted to reach the community. We wanted to love our community. We wanted to show them God's love. And we knew where we wanted to go. But it was so hard to figure out what to do. Can you imagine, think with me for a moment, to start a church from scratch? No sound, no tables, no building, no money. I can go on and on. <laughs> think about it. Everything that you enjoy, when you start from scratch, none of this is here. Not even a building. And that's what we had to do. We start, started with nothing. Now, there's advantages to that because you can start from a clean slate. But I remember being so overwhelmed I want to see a church that would reach our community, but had no idea how to get there or what to do. And I think sometimes life's that way, isn't it? That we have these goals and we have these dreams and we know what we want to do, but sometimes we struggle how to get there. I have to wonder sometimes if love is that way, that we know we're to love and we know we're to love others and we know we're to love God, but sometimes that's not an easy thing to do, is it? It's something to know something, and it's another thing to be able to do it. And I think this is true many times with love. Because if you think about it, and I want you to think about this for a moment, what does love really require of you? And what if love requires you to be a better you? As I think about that question, I often wonder in that, I think about my life and your life. Because what if love requires me to be a better me in my marriage? Or what if love requires me to be a better me in my community or at my job? Or what if love requires me to love somebody when I disagree with them in politics? 
or when I disagree with them on a particular moral view, or if I disagree with them in values that I hold tightly. In those situations, what does love require of you and require of me? I think this sometimes can be a tough question, can it? It's one thing to say, I know we should love. Whether you're a Christian in this room or not, we all agree that love is important. But when it comes to our daily lives, how do you actually do that? How do you actually make sure that you love? Because I think it's easy sometimes to make excuses when we fall short. To say, to have reasons why we fall short on love. And to have excuses on why we might fall short. We might blame others or blame our history or blame other people because we fell short. But the reality in real life, excuses don't really matter sometimes, do they? Let me give you an example. Can you imagine how many here have had a child or have a child? Raise your hand if you've all over this room. So let's pretend for some of you, you have a young child now. Some of you have to go back in the olden days. But let's pretend, or grandchild we can even use. But let's, let's say you have a child and your child's being bullied. And so you want to address it. And so you go to the school and you go to the parent of the kid that's bullying your kid. And you say, you know what, your son is bullying my kid, and we need it to stop. That's what you would do, right, as a parent. And let's say that parent looked at you and said, you know what, I am so sorry my boy is bullying your boy. But you, my boy, when he was five years old, he was bullied. And you know what, he can't help but bullying people now. And he's going to bully your son, because that's just who he is. And let's say you look at the principal and you say, he needs to stop bullying my son. The principal says, I'm sorry, that's just the way he is. Now, as a parent, would you accept that excuse? No, there'd be all war, wouldn't it? Because I think sometimes the reality is excuses does not give us a pass not to change, does it? Excuses in real life doesn't give us a pass not to change. So again, what if love requires us to be better, a better us? I think sometimes in, in our lives, we focus on so many ways to improve ourselves. We think about our health, our muscles, our, our diet, think about our financial life, right? Our emotional life. But what about your character. How often do we work on who we are? How often do we take a look at the kind of person we are and the character that we have? How often do you spend time really thinking about the kind of person you are? And if you're doing what love really requires of you. Because here's the reality. If you look at who we are, do we really take care of who we are? Do we really take care of our character? I think about a car. And if you have a car and you take care of the car, you do the maintenance schedule, you do the oil changes, you make sure your tires are inflated properly, and you take care of that car, chances are the car is going to have a longer lifespan to it 
because you took care of the car. But if you have a car and you don't take care of it, you never do oil changes, you never check the brakes, you never change the tires, eventually what's going to happen? The car's going to break down, isn't it? And usually, I'm going to say usually, because sometimes new cars break down, but usually it breaks down a lot quicker because we didn't take care of the car. It's the same with our character. How often do we do maintenance checks on our character and make sure that we're staying sharp, make sure we're staying strong, make sure we're working on being a better us in our lives? How often do we do that? I think for many of us, we don't think about it that way, and it's easy to become dull in our character. So what does love require of us? And how do we become a better us when it comes to love? Jesus had a conversation with his disciples as he was getting ready to leave. And he was telling them that I'm leaving, and now let me share with you what's next. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. And this is what he says to them. As, he, as he's about ready to leave, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, also I will remain in you. No branch can either bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now, I shared with you that I moved to Antioch, and, um, and, and we had this big backyard. And in this big backyard had a grapevine. And it looked like a bush to me. And if you, as you get to know me a little bit, when I see bushes, you know what I like to do to bushes? I like to cut them down. And so I wanted to totally kill this thing. And, um, and then I waited a year because my wife wanted to wait a year. And the stupid grapevine didn't produce any grapes. It's like, what a waste to have a stupid grapevine that doesn't do what it's supposed to do. So I go to my wife and I say, I'm going to cut this down. Now, my wife is very mercy-driven. She's very mercy-driven with people, pets, and plants. And so she looks at me and says, oh, no, don't kill that plant. It looks pretty. I'm thinking, I want to kill this plant. It's not producing anything. It's a waste to me. And so I figured, you know what, I don't know anything about grapevines, so I'll read up on them. But what I realized was when a grapevine's a bush, that's not what it's supposed to be. Because really all the nutrients come through the trunk to the vines and to the branches. And when you have too many vines going out, then there's not enough nutrients that get to the branches and then it doesn't produce fruit because of that. So what it told me to do was to narrow it down to two, the two vines and then the branches. The problem was I knew my wife would not let me cut this thing. And I knew if it was going to produce fruit, I was going to have to cut it. So what does every good husband do? You wait for your wife to go shopping. 
and you cut that thing down. <laughs> and, and then you pay the price later, right? So when she got home, obviously I was in big trouble. But then I said, you know what, just wait. I'm telling you, it will produce grapes. She goes, if it doesn't, I'm going to get you. You know, that, that warning you get. And, uh, and so, of course, a year later, it produced grapes, wonderful grapes. But all the nutrients had to go through the vine to the branches to produce fruit. And Jesus begins to talk about that relationship with us. He says, you are the branches. We are the branches. He goes, without me, you can do nothing because I'm the one who supplies life to you. I'm the one who supplies the nutrients that you need to live. So he begins to share what our relationship is with him. He says this. He says, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, the word remain here in the Greek means to stay close to. Uh, it, it means this tight relationship. Now, the relationship he, uh, Jesus is talking about isn't like he's our boss. It's not like he's talking about an authority relationship. And he's not even talking about a relationship like a parent and child. Because what happens with a parent and child, though they stay close, there's some point, right, that the child leaves the home and runs their own life and is independent. Jesus wants a relationship with us that, that he is the most powerful influence in our life. He wants us to always stay close to him and always remain in him. Now he says, you will bear much fruit. Now is he talking about strawberries, bananas, cherries, grapes? No, he's talking about our character. Love, peace, joy, patience, goodness, gentleness, right? He's talking about our character. So he begins to talk to us about if we want to become better, if we want to become uh, stronger in who we are in our character, then we have to be close to him. When I was growing up, I was not raised in the church. And how many here were not raised in the church? Raise your hand if you weren't raised in the church. So not, not too many in this service. Um, it's a different perspective when you're not raised in the church. I remember, um, I remember back thinking about church, and I never was really interested in going to church because what happened was people, when I and when I was in middle school, they would always come up to me and tell me how I needed to change because I was a bad person. I did bad things. And they would always come to me and say, you need to change this in your life and then come to church. You need to change this. You need to stop doing this. And I thought to myself, I don't want to change. I want to be who I am. And so I don't want to go to church if I have to change. And, and it really confused me. And then as I got older into high school, there was this, this one day where um, I wanted to go. Our, our high school football team made it to the championship game, downtown L.A., and they were going to play in the L.A. Coliseum. And I really wanted to go. The problem was I didn't drive, and I needed to figure out a way to get to the game. It was about 20 minutes away. And so I had a friend that was in the band, 
And she said to me, you know what, why don't you just come on the bus with the band and, and we can get you down to the game. And I said, well, wouldn't the teacher know that I'm not in the band class? And she goes, oh, no, he doesn't have any clue who's in the band. <laughs> so, so I said, okay. So I, I, there's a long line as we're getting on the bus, and they put a band hat on me and a band vest. They tell me a kid's name at the end of the line, and the teacher has this list of kids, and I'm walking up to the bus door, and he looks at me. He goes, what's your name? And I give him the kid's name in the back. He goes, okay, and he checks me off, and I get on the bus. And uh, I had my hat on, and don't, I, don't even, I didn't even play an instrument. And um, they give me a flute to hold. and <laughs> so, so we get off the bus, and they start marching towards where they're marching, and I kind of fade off to the seats in the Coliseum. And if you've ever been to Coliseum, it's huge. I mean, it sits up, it kind of goes whoop, like this. And, um, and I'm sitting there and watching the game and enjoying it. And uh, I watched the band perform at halftime. And our team was getting clobbered. I was like 28 to nothing at halftime. And so because it wasn't even close, they started getting the kids on the bus on the, on the bus to leave. And if you've ever been to LA Coliseum before, I'm on like the level, which means it's almost like you're in space. Uh, it's way up there. And, um, and I look down and I see the band actually loading on the bus. And I realized that I wasn't gonna make it on the bus. And I'm stuck in downtown LA. And if you know where the Coliseum is, it's not in a good area. Um, and so I'm trying to figure out, I'm 14 years old, and I'm trying to figure out what do I do. So all of a sudden, this, this guy, 19 years old, big bushy brown hair, it's the 80s, you know? And he comes up to me and he says, hey, you want a ride? I'm all, I, 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 go, I go, yeah, I go, uh, but I don't know if you're going where I'm going. He goes, he goes, where do you live? And I said, Tahunga. That's actually a place in the United States. And, uh, <laughs> and I, he goes, great. He goes, I live in Sunland, which was the next town over. And uh, he goes, you want to ride? I said, sure. So I hop in this mini truck. Remember those Datsun mini trucks? <laughs> I hop in this, this Datsun mini truck, and, and we're, we're driving down L.A. freeway, listening to the 80s new wave music, having a great time, and he looks at me, and he opens his ashtray, and he goes, hey, you want some weed? <laughs> and I look at him, and I said, no, man, I don't do that. He goes, okay. Shuts the ashtray, and we're listening to new wave music. Hey, you want to go to church with me? I look at him, and I said, no, man, I don't do that. <laughs> and then he said the, the thing that sold me. Said, hey, there's cute girls there. <laughs> I said, I'm going to church. Where is it? <laughs> and then I remember walking into church. It's almost like um, you're a foreigner. I walk in, and people are raising their hands and I'm thinking, man, are they into football or what, you know? And, and, then, and then they started singing these songs about lambs and animals and rain and wind. And I'm thinking, man, they're into nature and animals. And, 
Why? What is that? And then this guy comes up, and they, they said his name was Pastor. It was actually Pastor Plummer. This guy comes up, his name's Pastor uh, Paul Plummer. And, um, and, and I thought, wow, that's a weird first name to be Pastor. I never heard that first name before. And, uh, and that that's, was my experience. I had no idea uh, about church. Um, and people would always come up to me and, and talk to me about changing my morals, trying to become a better person. It was until I was uh, about 18 years old, and this guy I was working with came up to me and said, hey, do you go to church? And I said, no, nah, man, I don't do that. And uh, he goes, uh, no problem. He goes, do you know anything about the Bible? And I said, no, I really don't. I didn't even know common stories you know. I didn't know about Moses at all. I just knew about the movie, The Ten Commandments. Uh, remember that old Charles Heston movie? I didn't know about David and Goliath. I mean, I didn't know, like, some things that many of you would just be very common for you. I didn't know. And he would just tell me these stories all the time. And then finally he said, do you know about Jesus? And I said, no, I don't know about Jesus. Because I, I used to think, like, um, Christmas time was about just gifts, and I thought about Easter was just about Easter bunnies. And so I had no idea about Jesus. And he began to tell me stories about Jesus and began to ask me questions, and I became interested in Jesus. Jesus was interesting to me. And um, as I began, as he began to tell me more and more about Jesus and his love and who he was, he asked me, would you like to have Jesus in your life? And I said, you know what? I would. I would love to have Jesus in my life. See, he pointed me to a relationship with Jesus. And as he pointed me to that relationship with Jesus, as I got to remain close in him, as I got to know him, as I got to build that relationship with him, I began to change. Can I tell you, and I hope so, but I'm a totally different person when I was 18 than I am now. And you all hope that's true, right? <laughs> you wouldn't even recognize me. You know what I would, if I was 18 years old, you know what I would have done in, in this church? I would have came in your doors. I would have been nice to the greeter that, that came in to greet. I would have purposely sat back there, and if you would have come up to me to try to have a conversation, I would have tried to dodge that conversation as quick as I could. I would listen to the service, and the minute service is over, I'd be out those back doors. I did that. That's what I used to do. In fact, a lot of times I, when I went to youth group, a lot of the kids wouldn't even talk to me or my friend because we were bad people. And so, so I knew, for me, when somebody pointed me to a relationship with Jesus instead of trying to change me, it was Jesus who brought the change in my life, like it was for many of you, right? And I think many times Jesus says, listen, I'm the one who brings change. It's not, it's not morals. It's not self-help books. Jesus says, I bring real change. And as Jesus brings the change, it changes us, it changes our values, it changes our morals, it changes who we are. But Jesus says, I'm the true vine. I'm the one who really brings change. So I think many times we try to focus on being a better person. 
and trying to improve ourselves and doing better morals and trying to change instead of trying to be closer to Jesus. We might have good intentions, but really what Jesus wants us to focus on is our relationship with him, to remain close to him. And as we remain close to him, then he says change begins to happen. I know many of you in here are probably warrior fans, aren't you? Is that all I get in this room? Man, you have the world champions at your doorstep. Now, I know probably uh, if you want to be a better basketball player, for instance, uh, and you had the opportunity to work out with Stephen Curry for a year, after a year, you would become a better basketball player, wouldn't you? You wouldn't be as good as Curry. None of us would be except Pastor Terry, of course. Hopefully this is being recorded. Uh, but, but you would be better just spending time with somebody who is an expert in that area. Even if you don't know how to play basketball at all, and you worked with somebody that knew how, you would be better than when you started. And it's the same when it comes to who we are in our character. That's why Jesus says remain in him, because the more time you spend with him, the more time you remain in him, the more you become like him. Now, you'll never be perfect like him until you're with him, right? But the more we spend time with him, the more we remain in him, the more we become like him, because he's the one that brings change. Now, I want to give you just one more thought to this as well, because I think many times we desire, we have people around us that we would love to see them change. Maybe it's in our marriage with our spouse or our kids or a coworker or somebody in our community, and we want to change them. So we try to tell them how to change, or we try to we try to pray for them, or we try, to, we try to talk to them. But I wonder how often do we point them to relationship with Jesus? I wonder how often do we point them to who he is? And I want you to think about those people. We all have those people that are in our life. And we focus so much on the kind of person they are but really, they need Jesus just like you and I do. And if you want to see somebody change instead of trying to change them, help them to know who Jesus is. Help point them to that relationship with Christ. Because that's what a Christian did for my life. They pointed me to a relationship with Christ. And that's what helped me to change. And I want you to know this today. I think sometimes... We get frustrated with people around us, and we think they will never change. And we, sometimes we give up on them. Sometimes we, we, write, we, we write them off. But you know what? The Bible says I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength, right? That includes you. That includes your spouse. That includes your kids. That includes your neighbors. That includes your coworkers. Because it's Jesus who brings the change. Instead of trying to focus on changing people, 
or changing yourself. Focus on remaining in Jesus and help them to focus on that relationship with Jesus. Would you stand with me this morning? Again, I am so honored to be here. I just wanted to challenge you this morning to think about where you're at in your life and what it would mean when I asked you the question, what does love require of you? Doesn't the Bible say God is love? And when you remain in him, you learn how to love more and more. What it means to love yourself and what it means to love others what it means to love God, and what it means to be more like him every day in your lives. So take that step. Whatever, everyone in this room is in a different place in your relationship with Christ. Maybe today you're here and you don't even know Jesus, like, like I didn't. Maybe that step is just saying, you know what, I'm going to take a step just to get to know him today. Some of you in this room have served Christ for years. Am I not correct that you're in a continual process of learning how to become more like him? What would that mean for you? What would that look like for you? Or maybe there's people in your life that you desire to see change. You love them. You want to see the best for them, and you're frustrated. Can I challenge you this morning to pray for them and to, and to ask God, Lord, how can I point them to a relationship with you today? I just want to say thank you for letting me be here. Make sure you love on your pastor. I'm going to ask Pastor Michael to come up. God bless you. I think sometimes it's interesting because I think sometimes we make um, this whole Christian uh, thing, this whole Christianity thing, we make it so complicated as people, right? We, we do all these things. We say we have to do this, 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 and this. All Jesus said was follow me. And I think that's really key for us to remember. Follow Jesus. Don't get distracted by the other things. Follow Jesus and all the other things will just fall in place. I really believe that. And so to, to this morning, uh, we're going to close in prayer. And if you guys would just bow your heads and close your eyes with me and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I, I, I just thank you for this morning. And I thank you for this time that we can come together. I, I thank you for the message, Lord. And I just pray that uh, this morning we will just put all the other things aside and just make a decision to follow you. Lord, I, I pray. Uh, I know everyone is in different places in life, Lord God. And I pray that for people who haven't come to know you or who haven't given you a real chance yet, I just pray that those people in here today would make a, a decision to say, you know what, I'm going to give this Jesus thing a try. I'm going to give God a chance. I'm going to see what happens when I follow him. And if that's you this morning who, who made that decision, I just really encourage you to uh, talk to someone about that. Talk to someone who's really close with God and, and maybe fill out on your connection card. You know what? I made that decision today and let us know. And then maybe some of you guys are, are in here this morning and, and you made a, a uh, decision. You know what? 
I'm going to follow Christ again. I'm going to make that real decision that I'm going to follow him and not worry about the other things. Because I know my relationship with Christ is what really matters. And you know what? I've been kind of moving away from Christ lately. I've been uh, moving away from love, and I need to get back there. If, if that's you this morning, I, I would just encourage you to make that decision. Don't go back to the ways of just saying, you know what, I need to do this, 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 and this. Make it simple. Follow Christ. Make a decision to love him again. Get back in that loving relationship. Because that's when you're going to see real fruit grow in your life. Lord, thank you again. I pray that uh, our hearts and minds would be focused towards you in all of our days and everything that we do will be for you and because of you. And, and we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. You guys are dismissed. Have a great rest of your week and see you next Sunday.